Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. The day has finally arrived. Today on our show, we have the one, the only, Keith Coogan from Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Cousins, one of his favorite roles, and he is quite a character. We talked for well over an hour with Keith about about movies, his love of movies, right? Well, I would say that Keith is hands down a cinephile. No question about it. It definitely was something I was not aware of, you know, surprisingly in a good way. I assumed wrongly that we were going to uh, just talk about some of the some of the big things that he's known for as you said adventures of babysitting don't tell moms don't tell mom the babysitter's dead um hiding out which is one of my personal favorites um cousins etc etc but yeah keith is the grandson of jackie coogan who is an incredibly um prolific and famous actor um who is most known to the world as uncle fester on the original adams family and you know, it's 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 a wonderful surprise when uh, we can go so much deeper into these movies. You know, well, he even he even said by the end of the episode, he said, "Thank you for going down a deep dive with me." Spoiler: I won't say what we go down a deep dive on. You're just gonna have to listen and find out. But I love the fact that when our guests come on our show, um, they feel disarmed. You know, they feel like kind of open to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Obviously, we wanted to hit some of his big movies, and, and we did. We, we touched upon the big ones that you mentioned already, uh, but we also talked a little bit about ones that people might have forgotten about that are, you know, close to us, that we, we look back and go... Under the boardwalk, yeah. I'll watch this movie. And Keith didn't disappoint in that way, you know? he He's, yeah, he is definitely a cinephile. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. It was nice to just go down memory lane with him. He dishes a little dirt, too, which is fun. Like, he's he not does. afraid to uh, take a few jabs. He does. He doesn't really pull any punches, you know. And and here's a guy who has been working in the industry for, you know, some 40-plus 40, 40 years at this point. So And started young, uh, like many ch- child, child actors do. I mean, if you're a child actor, of course you're starting young. But the fact is, is that when he started acting in the 80s, there were not that many people doing what he was doing. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a finite, small group of, of actors. Like when you, when you needed a teenager in 85, you were going to get the same group of guys coming into those auditions and commercials, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, one take you know, Keith. One take Keith, as they one call One take Keith, 
as we uh, as we learned. So this is not only a dive into Keith's history, but it's a dive into almost the history of of, of that time period, and even and even you know film itself. We really go back there. It was a wacky, fun ride with Keith. We made a lot of left turns in this episode that we didn't expect, and we had a lot of fun. So for the next hour and change, enjoy our interview with Keith Coogan as we stroll down memory lane in its movies, in its moments of life, in its reflections on cinema and all that good stuff. All right, everybody. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Enjoy this interview with the Keith Coogan. Good morning. This is Keith Coogan. Hey, wait, uh, is this is this the Keith Coogan? <laughs> I, that is a really weird phrase. The who would pretend to be that which is not? <laughs> yes. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Keith. You're on uh, two dollar uh, late fee. I love two dollar late fee. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I, my first job outside of the movies was uh, in TV. My first real, real job was Point Doom Video Store, and I worked at a video store at 18. Well, you're, you're in the fold then with us, fellow <laughs> alum video store. Alum, well, I just said I, alum twice, I, but yes. I think he gets a T-shirt. I think Keith gets a T-shirt for from You show. definitely do. <laughs> yeah, how much was, do you remember the late fees, yep. how much they were, Keith? Um, I want to say about that, I want to say rentals were maybe three or four bucks. I think I don't remember. I remember if you wanted to buy it, it was eighty five dollars, or if you lost the tape. Um, <laughs> yeah, it worked eighty eight. So what did we have? ET was released on video, I think, in the green yeah. deal. And I did have um, a movie or two behind that I was in on the video shelf, which was really weird. But it was Point Doom, and everyone did, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Wait a minute. So so you were working at a, at a video store while you were working as an actor, right? Well, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I've always had real jobs and went to public school and then would also do the Hollywood thing. That's got to be a trip then while you're like, you know, a, a person comes in and says, hey, do you have any recommendations? And you go, well. Yes, Adventures in Babysitting. Right. It's a great exactly. fun Exactly. Adventure. Exactly. Like, I love all these reports like Daniel J. Lewis, you know, he like to research a character, you know, that does shoes, you know, shoemaker. He becomes a shoemaker. And I'm like, I just worked in like regular life. So I've already done all the research. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I don't have to go pretend to work retail or a telemarketing job because I did that. Thank you very much. Well, I was going to say, you know, you, you do you did work with Kevin Smith recently. And, and I, I was going to say if he ever did a clerk's like shot for shot remake a la Psycho, uh, he would just recast you. <laughs> and you could play it. I, uh, it's funny you said uh, uh, I got to work with Kevin Smith. And it's funny that um, idea had never really been seated in my brain up until the moment you just said it. I got to meet Kevin Smith. I got to watch Kevin Smith work. I got to see him, you know, open a movie and do the premiere and all that stuff. But I didn't even figure how I, you know, uh, kind of figure into the whole thing. Yes, I just work with. You mean get to one of the most welcoming and opening sets, a director that encourages you, has a, a, a crew applaud you hey let's hear it for keith coogan and, and, the, and the crew while they're rolling and then goes all right action so the yeah. energy and the love on a kevin smith set 
I'd never seen anything like that. Oh, I love that. That's that's an amazing way to kind of launch into your mm. character. I mean, unless it was like really depressing, like if he wasn't doing a comedy or something, you know, and like you had to be dying in your scene or something. Let's hear it for Kid Gogan. Yeah, like, it's uh, in the middle of Tusk. He's not like, all right, how was that lunch? All right, exactly, more, more exactly. blood here. Do the, you know, being able to switch on as a director. And I think that that's enticing to people. They always feel trapped in a box. If they're an actor, they want to be a musician. If they're a musician, they want to be a porn star. You know, porn stars want to be actors. So uh, that, um, uh, I don't know. It, it, is, uh, it is a weird job going and wearing clothes and pretending to be other people and stuff like that. But super fun. It's just a weird, very competitive industry to be in. Um, but that's kind of the fun thing. I mean, would it be you know worth it if it was really easy? And everyone, you know, all your competition was a layover. And, and uh, no, it's it makes you bring your best. And then inter- audiences get entertained the best, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I right, just quick question. So you so you were working at Point Doom Video Store and Adventures in Babysitting had come out at that point. And did you yeah. did you ever were you so you never had this sort of. I want to say, like, for lack of a better word, ego about it, where you're like, well, I'm in a movie now. I'm not working at this video store. Like, that that was never... I think done on purpose by my mother, to because I always did lots of chores and pick up dog poop and, you know, yes. mow the lawn and all, yeah. all this stuff I had to do, like, uh, that I always knew the value of a dollar. I didn't get, you know, I got, I, didn't, I got, uh, I had to earn an allowance, I think, at the top. By the time I was, like, 15 or 16, I could earn... Fifteen dollars a week if I mowed the lawn, did the poop, mm-hmm. took out the garbage, yep. made all the bed, vacuumed, you know, did all the kind of chores. Love that. While my parents slept, and I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and so that I was like, that is a great way to just keep because it's really trust me, it's really easy if people come up and oh, I love you, I love what you did, it's great. It's a real easy, you know, ride in a path right there to just go, cool man, I'm a rock star. That's me now. Um, yeah. And my, I think the key is my grandfather had gone through one of the most famously public cyclical careers. Mm-hmm. Biggest yeah. movie star, child star at age five, and it falls into obscurity until Uncle Fester at 50. Yeah. So that kind of like comeback America loves. Mm-hmm. People love to see that kind of thing. Unfortunately, it'll never happen because I just, I'm still in the business. Oh, Keith again, huh, Keith? So um, I don't know. I just love it. I'm grateful I get to do this and be in this business. Well, um, I, I like to think I worked hard at it. There's a little bit of birthright in it, and I'm going to acknowledge that. But I think that's why my mother didn't let me act under the Coogan name when I was a child. She said she didn't want me to get parts just because of the name. Great. Well, thanks, Mom. I think you, I think you honestly, you know, you, you said that you, you might not, you won't be remembered that way. Well, that's a long time from now. But I, I think one of the reasons specifically we had wanted to reach out to you is because we are such a fan of your work uh, from oh, uh-huh. the 80s up till now, like everything in between. You have you have been in so many great movies. Um, you have had so many great performances. My and, God, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, there might be a lot of praises going on. For, for you during this interview because you definitely deserve them. I think anybody that knows you or your name automatically associates wow. you with certain films. And then there's other films that we love that you've been in that people might go, oh, I've never seen that. And we go, well, you got to check out, you know, Under the Boardwalk or uh, you, 
podcast. Yeah, we we're we're like the Kevin Smith of podcasts, where we just build. <laughs> you got we're gonna build in there. We're gonna build you, know, you up. I rarely. <laughs> oh yeah, and then you're gonna. So then we're happy to. No. <laughs> and then we're gonna. Yeah. Right. 90, can you imagine? Tell us yeah. about ninety two. <laughs> I had. I know. I was. I, I knew it. I saw it happening in ninety one. I had three uh, studio pictures out. Uh, Book of Love, Toy Soldiers, Don't Tumble on the Baby Spears Dead, all wildly different characters. Um, and then uh, did art films for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, but you're working. You're working, you know, doing, yeah. have you, have, yeah. did you always. There's no different being on a $300,000 movie than being on a $10 million studio picture. There's no difference in the craft. And there's no difference in the people that you work with. So there's more lights and there's bigger sets and more trucks. That's not what you go to a set for. Well, maybe we, maybe different uh, craft service levels too. Sure, right? Like different different oh, meals. Oh, sure. There's better and, weed on the lower budget. Right. There's much better weed on craft service. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we had just had uh, we had just had Eric Roberts on a little while back, and the, the the man loves to act. He just loves to act. You know, he he's been in uh, I don't know over 500 movies or something like that, right? Or I was it was 570 movies yeah. by the time you know our episode aired. And he had said, he'd said, I just he took loved... my thumb. Oh, he took my thumb. <laughs> he took my <laughs> thumb, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> had you always wanted? Had, had you always wanted to be an actor when you were a kid? Like, obviously, you're. Yeah, to... I wanted to be on TV. I was about four, and I was seeing kids happy and having fun on Sesame Street, Electric Company, and that kind of stuff. And I go to my mom, and I go, I want to be on TV. I knew nothing about my grandfather. She was a runaway Catholic schoolgirl, pregnant at you know 15, so she had nothing to do with my grandfather. And um, she goes, she rolls her eyes. She's like, oh, my God, it's got to be in the blood. This kid, so, you know, she has the connections mm-hmm. of, like, that she, her father had introduced her to a child agency. She did one commercial class, but she didn't like to be told what to do. My mom was very uh, counterculture, anti-authoritative. She's like, not for me. Get another girl. Um, so took me to her kid agent on Sunset Boulevard, Tro- uh, Don Schwartz, and read me cold, pick up sides. I'm five years old. He taught me to read at three, so I was like, could read the size, memorize. Wow. He goes, well, let's get him out. And he's like, I can't wait to get uh, Jackie Cooper's grandson out there. She goes, no, 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 no one can know. Uh, because there's nothing worse than an actor uh, not knowing why they got a role. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I don't think anybody was fooling themselves. Sure, word got around. Hollywood's a very small town. There were like eight child actors at the time. Like, seriously, even up through Adventures of Baby Disney time, I, I couldn't even get up to 40 in the number of, like, competitors and my you know the christian slater and river phoenix people that i consider much better actors um jonathan ward and Corey feldman Corey haim 40 of us maybe if you really stretch to like single guest appearances for actors and stuff hmm. so now there's hundreds of thousands of kids in the business so it's different and there is an expectation there is the bare minimum look good show up on time know your lines do your thing then there's craft then there's oh my god you know, now they're just blowing away, you know, cast and crew members. And I never hit that level. I just made everyone happy because we wrapped early. Um, I'm a one taker. You can go do two, three <laughs> takes. You're just going to get paid to do the same thing. I had made up my choice. I'm ready to do this. Let's do, I know what it's going to look like on screen. Don't doubt me. I worked with a lot of first time directors and it gave me this really huge ego that I knew what I was doing more than they did. Uh-huh. And I never exploited that. But if I saw them having trouble, I'd go, all right, just put a crane in the corner. Start boom up. Go ahead and boom down as they walk in, and you can cut into coverage. Oh, okay, we'll do that. Oh, um, <laughs> I got to direct the last episode of Chips. I got to direct one scene. I was sitting there going, what are we waiting for or whatever? And John Aston, uh, Sean's father, was directing. 
And um, he goes, why don't you direct it? I go, great, we'll do a master right here. We'll pick off that group and three shot in that group. It's a four shot. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> shot it in under an hour. Three cages. Bam. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Why don't well, you I was direct it? First, I hit the set at, at a McDonald's commercial when I was like five or six. And I joined the union and everything. And I was fascinated by a grip came up to me and pointed want to see something like yeah he pointed out see that brick wall and i'm like yeah we were at a fake mcdonald's out in like city of industry the fake mcdonald's they use and update every couple of years to look like the current franchises oh fun fact. flying walls no neighbors they can do whatever they want to this nice. mcdonald's they shoot all their commercials there i'm loving it and he goes fiberglass <laughs> and he goes look on the other side and it's all empty fiberglass you know knock on it and um that just fascinated me that the facade part of it yeah and that's how i am as an actor I, you don't need to know what I had for breakfast. I don't need to care what the character's past or history is. Can I make this audience laugh right now? Just by doing something human and recognizable, you know, foible. People like, so the people are watching and they go, dude, I do that. I think that's stupid stuff. So it is relatable. That's always been my goal mm. in that. And God damn it, thank you for 30 years, 33 years later that, you know, appreciate this or the work. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that because. You in the movies you sing in the dark. In plays you get up, you do a line, you get a laugh. It's instantaneous via IV injection into your arm. Yeah. Um, a movie you shoot it, you can't laugh on the set, so nobody knows what's going on. You're not there in the edit process. It comes out months, year later. Uh, you're out of control of it. It plays to a different audience every night. It's so weird. You sit down sometimes with casting crew screening or when it's released or released on video or whatever or played on cable for the first time watching it. You're like, oh, my God, what did they do with this thing? So it's for you, you know, easily 100 people. And then today, at least 1,000 people involved in making a movie. Back then, like, crews were 100, but now they're ridiculously large. Um, so you don't know it. You have to trust. Director has to trust costumes. Costumes has to trust the camera. Camera has to trust the gaffer. Average big circle of trust on the set. Um, it's kind of interesting to see the best craftsmen today are in television, are in shows yeah. like Westworld, or yeah. stuff like that. I also think some of the game designers should be added to the list of great content creators like Red Dead Redemption 2, the art direction, oh, yeah. and uh, all that stuff. I've, I've done five, six playthroughs of RDR2. Nice, nice. You know, and, and well, it's interesting that you say that about television kind of being where where it's at nowadays. And, and well, personally, and speaking for Dustin as well, I would like to see, you know, here you are, you started out in television. Maybe you're going to be back in television sometime soon. And that's where, uh, you know, your career will continue to grow and, and evolve. And uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's where you buy a house in the valley. That's when you, you know, yes, I understand that. And my mom, really wanted me to avoid television as a child. Hmm. I still got roped into pilots and at least three series, uh, the McKenzie, the Paradise Cove, the uh, Wonderland Cove one with Clue Gulager hmm. for ABC. Wow. I did the Gunshy, the Apple Dumpling Gang um, series for Disney. Yeah. Where I did the pilot, the whole cast was fired. They recast, they recast me with Adam Rich, did two episodes, fired him, and then called me back and I finished series run oh, no. uh, then they reversed the order of the episode so it looked like Adam Rich replaced me on the show he did but then I it's a long story <laughs> wow I have a long story with Disney which is, this is why I maintained a good 
<laughs> he's like first faltering and I go what do I do if you know my friends go get in a car chase get arrested with like a prostitute do, uh, do something and I'm like I'd like to earn it and like do work and never mind right. so here we are 30 years later me still trying to earn it and not just get rich quick like a Kardashian um, but now I'm like maybe they were right well but what do the Kardashians do I was talking about somebody so talking to somebody about the Kardashians yesterday because it's like they really have established their brand. Okay. Here's you know? what they do. I'll tell you exactly what they do. Did you see Bradley Cooper in um, Elephant Man? Yes. Yeah. You saw it? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I've seen clips, yeah. I mean, right. I no, I mean, not the oh. show. Yeah. I mean, we so, know oh, of the fact that he's in it. And see the show? No, 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 no. Okay. So I think that if the Kardashian, okay, so what maybe certain pieces of art, Midsommar or something, might sit in the dark. Mm-hmm. And mainstream audiences are never going to see the light of day. Something can get nominated in Parasite, all of a sudden it can become a popular culture. Yeah. So what the Kardashians are good at are the opposite of what an artist is good at. An artist is good at, is good at sitting alone on the stage with no hair and makeup and making you think there's hair and makeup. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper is so good in that. Yet he's not out there pushing it. He's not promoting it. He's spending his time physicalizing it, doing yeah. the work. So we have something, I think as artists, we all have, because we want our work to be seen. The Kardashians are the other end of it. The ones that stay after the show. The ones that take cards and shake hands and make deals and make it happen and do merchandising. My grandfather, my great-grandfather merchandised. My grandfather was heavily merchandised. Uh, You know, peanut butter tins and pencil cases, haircuts, sheet music. Uh, Millions were made off of Jackie Coogan merchandise. so it's important to do both. You gotta have mm. a good show, and then you gotta find a way to merchandise it and promote it, and market it, and a way to mechan. It's the entertainment industry. It's called show business. Yeah, you can never separate the entertainment and the show from the business and the industry. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think that you know uh, they, for better or worse, have have figured out how to crack that nut. Uh, but but focused on you. <laughs> no, let's talk more about the, about the Kardashians. Let's Should just run we? through the well, family. My connection to the Kardashians is I knew Bruce and uh, I mean, sorry, I knew Caitlyn. I knew Caitlyn when uh, she was Bruce. I worked with her on um, Chips. Yeah, uh, oh, right, right, Chips yeah. Bruce. And I knew um, the mom. And my little brother was born at the same time as as Brody and whatever the other kid's name was. Um, so they were in the same baby group. Okay. And so we go over to the Jenner's house and birthdays and this and that. Um, so that's a weird tangential connection mm-hmm. I have to the Kardashian. Well, that's why you're perfect for our show because we have these weird tangents we go off on and we have this odd connection every now and then to things. But <laughs> yeah, but, and when you start to I, like open your eyes, you realize like all the synchronicity of like the world, and you're like, whoa. Trying to think what just happened to me, but I don't remember. Something just happened to me yesterday. I was like, "Oh, right." But anyway, it's, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna come to dust <laughs> yeah. in like twenty minutes. Twenty in, minutes. You know? in. Get ready. <laughs> uh, but but I want to talk about like your your transition from from being on television to being in the, in the movies, yeah. and obviously, Adventures in Babysitting was your first like your first big movie, and that movie. This is what I love about this time right now. We are all around the same age, and we. This is our time to reflect and, and, and embrace and love some of these great films from, in my opinion, one of the best eras of entertainment, the 80s. Um, and, and here you are getting into Adventures in Babysitting. Can, can you talk a little bit about how that all came to be? 
yes, I, um, when my grandfather turned 13 and did Tom Sawyer and started to get pimples and started to grow out of the cute little boy age, audiences stopped going to his movies. It wasn't until John Hughes came along and created a market to kids that now had disposable income. Mm. So because of the Reaganomics and the both parents working and equal rights amendments, both parents are now working. Children turn into latchkey children. They come home at 3 o'clock from school, and they do nothing until 6, until their parents get off work. They are with their friends on their bikes, in the woods, up the creek, playing, doing whatever they want on their own. So what that created was we could tell stories to kids. We've got some money right now. and uh, they um, are their stories about the kids being independent. E.T., Stand By Me, Goonies, uh, Gremlins even. He's on his own. The parents won't help him. Yep. Um, don't come on the babysitter's debt. Again, she's in babysitting. Um, even hiding out, it's like you can't turn to the, uh, the, the adults, the uh, FBI and everything, because they're all corrupt. He has to basically become a child again. Yep. Um, totally. And... And in cousin, Ted Danson won't grow up. He wants to stay a child, Peter Pan syndrome. <laughs> um, and so the 80s was a, a combination of market, a recognition of mainstream studios. Well, we're not going to spend the money we're spending on the big movies. Mm-hmm. We'll give you $8 million or $2 million or we'll go make, you know, um, what's the Patrick Dempsey? Can't buy me love. Go make Can't Buy Me Love. Go yeah. make, you know, actually don't make Heather's. Nobody make Heather's. <laughs> in the corner, new world holding a beer. Watch me. Hold on, hold my beer. Um, I love Heather's. I said, likewise, I love yeah. my big face, son. So many great lines in that. Hit me gently with a chainsaw. I, I will not curse on your show. You can no, if you want we to. We welcome it. If you, yeah. if you need oh, to. <laughs> if you want to. Yeah. So we get to uh, so features. I'd wanted to do features. And by the time I was seven or eight, my mother had reconnected with my grandfather. So we're at a screening for the kid. It's like 1977, maybe 78. And um, I'm sitting on my grandfather's lap. I fall asleep during the screening. But I see all this attention my grandfather's getting. I'm like, oh, uh, very interesting. I kind of heard rumors, and then now I'm seeing it. You know, my grandfather would tell stories of like, oh, my car would get stuck in the square, so they'd lift it on the shoulders and carry the car out. I'm like, you're lying. You're, you know, brag- braggadocious grandpa. Cut to me looking at pictures going, oh. Oh, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so at eight, by eight, I went, well, that's what I want to do. I saw the kid. It was just about an hour long, six reels. And I, I forget TV. I want to do movies. Mm-hmm. So my goal at eight was to do movies. So I auditioned for E.T., Goonies, Gremlins, Christmas Story, uh, um, everything. Stand by me. Uh, I auditioned for everything. Um, and started to see all the same kids. You know, who's this? Uh, River Phoenix was obviously a talent, which was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, saw the day Corey Haim walked into town on the Lucas audition. And mm. I'm like, after Lucas came out, I went, he's one of the greatest child actors ever. Yep. Like up there yeah. with Ricky Schroeder and River Phoenix in terms of emotionality. Yeah. Very few kids that could do that. I loved getting away with characters that didn't have to do that. Come in, make them. I'm the Donald O'Connor. Come in, make them laugh, make them laugh get the hell out support the main character i like to play the brother the best friend the cousin the boyfriend whatever mm-hmm. you know i yes. took the lead i love cheetah but uh you know i i think i get overwhelmed in the lead role because you can't steal a scene if you're in every scene true. so true. 
my, I like to stay back and let someone take the lead, Pakistan Horn, you know, go ahead, you take the lead, Ivory Tower, love that movie. And then I can come in and I can steal the scene. And my grandfather taught me every trick. Like, he taught me how to steal the scene without even being on stage. Mm. Because if you're in a scene with somebody and you're smoking and you have an exit, lay the cigarette on the edge of the table and walk out. And the audience is going to do nothing but stare at that cigarette and wonder how the other character is going to take. You can upstage someone without even being on stage. Um, And so I just love it. I love going in. I love playing smaller parts. And um, and I had my taste with like dramas and being the lead in like after school specials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And working with a lot of animals. I worked with horses and um, raccoons and dogs and chickens and cheetahs and. they were a lot better than many of the human actors. I think, Chris. Uh, so we get to uh, my first feature. Uh, we get to my first feature film, The Fox and the Hound for Disney in mm, 1981, yeah. which um, my mother doesn't count. Oh, because it's animated. It's just your voice. That doesn't count as a movie. Oh, interesting, Mom. Meanwhile, it's the highest budget animated movie ever made at a whopping $10 million budget. And it easily made like $46 million, incredibly helped yeah. bring back Disney. Totally. Black Cauldron afterwards, everyone went, huh, what the hell's going on? I'm scared. Yeah, um, Black Cauldron's great too. Yeah, yeah. That whole, yeah, if you watch the um, the one of the Disney uh, Plus, Disney Plus, the documentary on those years, it starts at the cast party for Fox and the Hound. Oh, wow. And it, on Fox and the Hound, we have Brad Bird, Ron Clements, John Lasseter. Jim Burton, and all the new people, Don Bluth, mm. credited because he left production. So anyway, um, Fox and Hound comes out, doesn't put a dent in my TV career. I, you know, yeah, I did the Walton. Um, I did, you know, I was doing guesting on um, like Knight Rider, Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy, it is enough, you know, every single thing, Love Boat, Fantasy Island. And I got to get on, I was um, spelling, spelling loved me. I didn't waste time, didn't waste money. Donna said, did your line, I just kept working. And, and I found that if you look at actors' careers and you look very carefully at their IMDb, mm-hmm. you'll find they often work with the same studios and same producers. You know why? Because yeah. they've never let them down. Yep. Sure. You said you were one, now, one taker. You marketed were... right. <laughs> something, yeah, it was one take. One take. I was. It was one take Mitchell was my nickname. One take and Mitchell was your nickname? It, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, or and AR. Armrest. Because you... the other actors would just come up and rest their arm on my head oh Aww. that's funny <laughs> i mean you bang it out get it out in one take moving on does that mean if if they Ooh. asked you for a second take you'd be like listen you know my nickname right and i i give me notes that's fine <laughs> usually the second take is always technical if they give me an acting note and they see i just can't follow it because i don't have the emotionality depth or training they go I will try a third take and then no growth. They're like, fine, we'll use the first take. They usually <laughs> use the first take anyway yeah. on these things. Yeah. yeah. They're cutting around whatever technical issues. And now today, there's no excuse. You can um, digitally take out a boom mic or a shadow. You can take out a reflection. Right. So now you can use rehearsal takes and first takes. And I think it's captivating to watch actors on the first take. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different yeah. animal nowadays. Back in the day. Now, if you do go on, I started taking theater. Oh yeah, no, go on. It's called, sorry. Oh no, Back I, in the day. I was just going to say th- that skill you have uh, was, was so valuable back then so much more so then versus now, because you didn't have this. When it was, 
five dollars a foot in film. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, really. And and here you are. Uh, I did a movie once that had a close up budget box. It was a shoe box with a hole in the top in a production office. Then if you wanted to, you could come in and you could buy close ups. Wow. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they were buying short ends of film from um the like film school or the the college. And uh they're like you could buy some short ends and get a close up. You <laughs> do, do not think I did not put money in that goddamn box. Right. <laughs> oh, there's you do everything you can. Um, and, you know the inside thing. I love lately. I've been playing a lot of like fake versions of me. They're very egotistical and like just want to burn every actor and steal the scene. And I'm like, really, every actor is like that anyway. So I'm just you know, brought him Freudian kind of bringing up this ugly part of actors um, and, and lambasting it, making fun of it because it's true. Actors are just terrible. They will steal parts from each other or try to steal focus, steal a scene, steal their thunder. Um, but that's, I think, what audiences tune in and they can recognize it. They yeah. can see when um, Chris, uh, one of the Chris's, and Robert Downey Jr. What's the Captain America, Chris? Oh, oh Chris Evans. Yeah. Sorry, this Chris, Chris Pratt, Chris Prime, Chris Evans, Chris, Chris. Uh, <laughs> a lot of Yeah, their their thing together. They must have met. And gone, you can get laid anytime. Yeah, I can get laid. You get millions of dollars for guys. Yeah, right, let's just make an agreement right now. <laughs> <laughs> just draw a line between us. And I love the poster. It's this line right between the two of them. Yeah, you 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 take uh, you take the Star Trek. I'll take the Marvel, <laughs> and uh, I'll take all the Academy Award stuff. And you know, <laughs> there you go. There's a quote Jodie Foster said about Home for the Holidays. She goes, "I knew that Robert Downey was using." Uh, he'd go off in his trail all the time, but when I needed him and he was on set, he was brilliant every time. Mm. So he's saying it's not right to go ahead and ignore someone in need, but you know, the reason that people don't reach out and help someone if they're going through that is because they're still getting what they want out of them and need out of them. So they're like, don't rock the boat. Right. Keep it up. What do, what do they need to keep going? On this? So right now I'm going back to Pink Floyd, the wall calling the doctor and giving them the shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was going to say, um, Phil Collins was going through some of his best music came out of the worst time of his life. And, um, you know, I always thought about that as a kid going, why would, well, that that's horrible because when you're happy, that's when you should be making things that bring, you know, it's the best, but I didn't get it back then. I obviously, obviously huh. do now, but it's just an interesting uh, perspective to look at when, when you take, um, you know, the, the tragedy in your own life or the sadness and, and you turn it into this art form. And Robert Downey Jr. obviously was, uh, did a fantastic job with that. But, but you were saying, but you're saying oftentimes you love playing the supporting character, the supporting role. Uh, and I mentioned this just briefly earlier in the movie or in the, in the, in the interview under the boardwalk, you were the lead in that at a time when you yeah. were on fire. And personally, I love that movie. I really yeah. do. I really do. I really feel like it was a great opportunity to see you in a different way. Um, can, can What's your experience on that film? I love that film. Just, just if I didn't well, say Well, thank no. you, Roger Corman, for New World Pictures. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know the New World Entertainment, which kind of died right after the 80s. Yeah. Um, they were the last remnants of Roger Corman's kind of filmmaking, you know, let's make a movie in three days. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Heather's was a co-production. So they were on each other's prints, art 
Under the Boardwalk trailer was on Heather's print, and Heather's was on Under the Boardwalks. Heather's trailer was on Under the Boardwalks print. They made prints of Under the Boardwalk and they played in 60 each community college towns in California as an actual theatrical release. Book of, I mean, Under the Boardwalk, um, which was originally entitled Wipeout, mm. we shot for one week. Um, I, did, I wasn't involved since now. It's funny you say lead. You mean top billing. Top billing, Andy yeah. Yes. does not exist in Romeo and Juliet, and no. Andy doesn't exist in West Side Story. Yes. Andy is completely made up as a narrator, you know, fish out of water for the audience. True. Because they added some extra cool things about, you know, Loke speak and Val speak. Mm-hmm. They needed like a, a way to have a primer for the audience. And I think that's some of the funny stuff too. The rival gangs. Um, I'm going to take of. Under the Boardwalk really seriously right now. So uh, when Brett Marks gets uh, wiped out of the competition, that's really um, uh, Juliet's brother getting killed in the duel. That's awesome. And it comes at the same time in the five act structure. Mm. So there's a party. They meet at the party, which is on the beach. So he's in town with his boys. They go roaming up to the party. She is local beach royalty. <laughs> yeah. They meet, they do the thing, he fights with the brother. It's just genius. Um, I got to, I love Wally Ward. Oh my God, he's hysterical in the boardwalk. See, I, part about doing these kinds of movies is you get to watch Sonny Bono or, you know, other, like, I love Daniel Von Zernick. Yeah. And at that point, at that point, we're talking, you know, um, uh, huge, this is a great lead for her. Uh, and, you know, it's just for, for Donna. To now have B lead. Right. Um, and so it's fun. You're playing around. You've got a crew that are all half the crew is pretty experienced. The other half are, you know, fresh out of like film school. Um, they are just trying to pay their bills and drink some beer. They <laughs> rent all places in LA and drive beater cars. This is your crew, punk rock. Yeah. Um, you, you get uh, semi competent and just 10 years older than everybody else, people to run camera, lights, and sound. And then, so they shot for a week, and they shot Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with the main leads. And on Friday was a scene with um, Dick Miller and uh, me. Oh, great. And uh, Roxanne Azal. And we shot the scene on Friday, and the production shut down production. They said, what we shot Monday through Thursday was worthless. You three are what, you know, obviously... We need people to come up to the same caliber as like Dick Miller and you and like Emmy nominated um, Roxanne Azal. They're like they're, they're terrible and they had problems with. I don't want to say this really too much. You know, lead actress was like like really fun and kind of not. I don't. Know, she was like flashing in the car and like convertibles to like people watching the film. They're like we can't have this. So <laughs> we took two weeks off. They paid the cast and crew for two weeks. Whoa. We just had pool parties over. Um, kindly, New World goes. We brought in Fritz Kirsch, a ringer, and we're going to finish this movie. We came back, shot it in three, four weeks, and it was done. Um, Fritz Kirsch is famous for filming um, uh, Children of the Corn yeah. in four weeks. Oh, Using wow. an upside-down wheelbarrow and a fish tank to do all the special effects. Um, Didn't know that. So he, he had, at the insert stage next to them, they were shooting a tidy hole commercial, and he used the cloud stuff to be the cloud over the cornfields. He, he also did Tough then, Turf, too, which is a great movie, by the way. See, and Tough Turf is on a double D- DVD with Under the Boardwalk. <laughs> well, Tough Turf and, oh, and Under I'm the sorry. Boardwalk. Are on <laughs> I'm sorry, you said Tough Turf 2? Okay. No, 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 no. I was no. making a joke. He said additional, too. I don't know. There is no Tough Turf <laughs> oh, yeah. 2, right? No, there's yeah. not. But there it should, should be. be. <laughs> All right, Keith, let's get That's going. That's what we think right now. Tough Turf, 
after two. That's the pitch. <laughs> you're call at, it C3. That's what America needs. And I'm glad you're I'm glad you said that, that Tough Turf and Under the Boardwalk are on a um, dual uh, Blu-ray together, which is great because maybe it's, it's going to reopen an audience for people um, to see that movie because, because, yeah, you wouldn't under. I love that you said it's Romeo and Juliet, it, it, and and it's West Side Story. It's got this, these two rival factions, you know. But you're you're the bridge. You're the bridge between the two and the narrator. And I get to see you with a beard, which is kind of fun too. So you know, uh, makeup effects by Tony Gardner. Oh, he did the blob. Wait, he the did, beard wasn't uh, real. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you didn't grow that beard. That thingy, the dental implants, the life cast, the. Uh, the bald cap, the lace wig over the bald cap. Wait, and he did that. Yeah, wouldn't he be the last more. time I get a wig. Um, wouldn't be the last time I get a wig made. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're getting to that. We're getting the most so, famous I love, wig. You know, it's shot Malibu. Where actually, uh, Under the Boardwalk is one of the only surf movies to shoot entirely in Southern California. Wow. Okay. Um, I think those far notes they want what went north is like Piedras Blancas, and then down to like um, the wedge. They said they used a new Steadicam jet ski camera. So there's a few shots where you're actually traveling laterally with the surfer on the water with them in the waves. It had never, now people see that in surf movies all the time, but it had never been done before. Um, And uh, so I think the surf footage is fantastic in that, especially when they didn't go to Australia. They didn't go to Hawaii. They didn't go to Northern California. It kind of blows my mind. and uh, super fun. I, I heard all the rest of the cast and crew totally partied every night while shooting. Oh, <laughs> Smoking this, drink, whatever. And I'm like 18, basically the lead. I knew damn good and well I wasn't the lead. I knew it was Nick and Alley. I knew I'm going to get paid, got the big credit, probably get the most money, and have the least work to do. I'm like, this is nice. <laughs> and then right on the box, they go, he's shooting. out. And I know that's why I got the deal. And it was an easy job. And I'm like, interesting. Yeah, you're coming off the heels of two hot films. Um, you know, Adventures in Babysitting, obviously iconic, or very memorable. Hiding Out, again, another personal favorite of ours. Love Hiding Out. So much. <laughs> so underrated. Yeah, I don't want to really segue is. away from what uh, we're talking about, but it's no. it's truly, I, I watched it, you know, last within the last four months, and I was like, damn, this is good. John Cryer is hiding out. You've left the outside world. You've got to orient your thinking. You've got to think repression and limits. Think humiliation and despair. You're in high school, for God's sake. I think that's when I uh, reached out to you because, <laughs> because Dustin had said, he said, uh, I'm watching hiding, hiding Out right now, and I, I love this movie. And I said, yeah, me too. And I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to reach out to Keith Coogan and see if he'll come on our show because because you guys are are you pulling my leg because come nope. on all my closest friends everyone are like they know what's good what's bad this and that and you guys really seem to be blowing smoke up my butt not that i mind it no but, no um, you know what i gotta tell you I, I gotta tell you i so so often i know when a crap movie's crap wait you don't think hiding out is a good movie <laughs> oh i think hiding out is a great movie but it's uh but you you led with under the boardwalk, so let's just back up. Here. Yeah. Well, no, uh, I, and I want to I want to say this. I want to say this too. This, this this is the the honest truth that there's oftentimes movies people go, oh that movie's so cheesy, or oh that movie's not so great. I like you when you describe the latchkey kid, the the um, you know the kid who's out on about out and about 
with no parental supervision. That was me as a yeah. kid. And I'd come home and I watched these movies incessantly. I was not on a bike riding around my neighborhood. I was glued to a TV watching every single movie I could. So these movies would come on often. Uh, and so here I am idealizing, um, having an affectionate link to these films because they remind me of a oh. certain childhood moment of mine. And so I look at these movies now and I go, yeah, yeah, it's got shortcomings. You know, I, I love The Wraith, and, but The Wraith is a cheese ball film. But here's the thing, like I can, I can still appreciate a movie that has shortcomings in it and go, no, there's a lot of heart right there. I, I, and, and under know, the boardwalks, I these movies. get it. I went while making adventure to babysitting. We were in Toronto and I saw from the hip five times in one week in the theater. Oh, wow. 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 It's a, it's a problem. I watched <laughs> it. I liked though? it. And I'm, I went back the next night. And then I went back the next night and then it became this thing. I'm going to go see from the hip again. And in my internal mind, I'm going, you realize that even now, if you tell someone, they'll be like, really? And, and even then I knew years from now, people are going to be like, why did you see from the hip over and over and over in a theater? I can't explain it. Um, uh, yeah, it's very, very inexplainable. I liked it. I thought he was charming and I wanted to figure out what his last line was to her in the courtroom. Whispers in her ear. I've never been able to figure out what he says, and I can't find an online copy to give me closed captioning. So oh. now my life, this question. Oh, that's funny. You're when, talking about Judd Nelson, of course. <laughs> yeah, when we have Judd on the yeah. show, we will ask him that specific question, and we will say, Keith wants to know. <laughs> oh, I do. I badly. I, I actually badly want to know. I model my life after the asshole scene when he tries to convince the admission of the word asshole in court by bringing up tomes of literature and Shakespeare and, and references. Um, I love it. And uh, uh, there's just something, there's something so trying when he fixes it with the other attorney. I think it's genius. Um, yeah, so that, I I love that, that's... Uh, yeah, I was raised on, so my, here's a some more backwards, back context to my love of versus film. Um, and that's why I really appreciated working under New World and doing Under the Boardwalk. Because it's subversive. It's made by subversive people. Mm -hmm. It's uh, putting a tongue-in-cheek in every single story beat that is in every other movie. Yep. But there's always some sort of wrinkle or some sort of inside nod or a wink. Um, it knows what it is while it's kind of telling its story. Um, yeah. I uh, So, yeah, I, I'll assess on something. I think when I was shooting Cousins, uh, one of the theaters in Vancouver was playing Pink Floyd's The Wall, double feature with Song Remains the Same, the Led Zeppelin half oh. concert, half music video film. Whoa. And I tried to watch both in one night and Sober? I like walked out of Song Remains the Same, but I went back for um, Pink Floyd again and I, again. I was going to say. And again, I think I saw it eight times in the theater. And I was like, and I was, you know, 18, 18 19, 12 years old at that time where I needed to see Pink Floyd the Wall over and over and over again. And here, to the point that I'm mature enough that by the end of the run, I could actually stay and watch the song remains the same again and then enjoy it. Well, that, that, that's my whole, that's my whole point is that, and I think that that's something that maybe is, is not, we talked to my wife about watching something more than once. Cause she'll be like, well, what's the point? Uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I feel like I can watch something over and over and over again, whether it is a, uh, quote unquote, you know, best picture film or whether it is this movie that gets no love at all. And I could care less oh, about no. that. I'm the same way. I'm like broadcast oh. news will be on cable. Oh, I got to record that again. And my wife would like, you need to just yeah. watch that. And I'm like, so what? It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, right? and, 
uh, and it's obscure and it's like <laughs> I, I, I do I, I love the I love the roots for a little I love like um I love Synecdoche because it didn't get as much notoriety as um being my John Malkovich mm. or adaptation. Yep. But it's a five times better film than any of those mm. you, you know, it stands on those other movies, obviously. But um, Charlie at, um Synecdoche yeah. is one of those like yep. Better be in a good, happy self, you know, uh, safe, healthy place in your head when you see it, because I'm sure it can be triggering to people. Um, but it's also profound, and it's a pill we need to swallow. I know it's coming. Your love of cinema, your love of, of television, all of that obviously fueled your work, right? And, and here you are. You're just a love of entertainment. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and you, all the creators know what, who they're stealing from and where something looks like or feels like something else when you're doing it. So Adventures of Babysitting, we knew our Ferris Bueller's references. We knew our night, uh, uh, in, in, um, not Into the Night, not the Jeff Goldblum one, the other one. Oh, um, um, for, for with Griffin okay. Dunn. Uh, after Hours. After Hours. Yeah. yeah. So our plot was basically After Hours and Ferris. Start at the house go out in one day and return back at the same location of the house, just being the parents or whatever, or the boss in time. In structure. Right. And yeah. when eventually the baby thing rips off Ferris Bueller even more that it has a musical scene, Twist and Shout and Baby mm-hmm. for the Blues. It has a right. um, French restaurant scene. Uh, and um, I remember, oh yeah, and the moving to one location and just being the parents' home. So that's pretty, pretty similar plot references to Ferris. Yeah. The director, the writer, David Simpkins, uh, had mentioned to me that he saw Ferris Bueller's and went home and pound and broke story on Adventure of the Babysitting that night. Wow. Mm. That's awesome. Um, he goes, that's how it's got to work. I love the story of how they came up with the blues bar. Uh, he goes, I'm having trouble writing this. How do they make them sing the blues? And uh, he goes, well, what? It's like a house rule, right? Goes, that's it. That's it. You got it. And then that was bored. That's awesome. Um, so while we're doing Adventure of the Babysitting, we knew... They use the same font in the title as Indiana Jones, so we know it's an adventure. Yeah, hmm. that kind cool. of um, balage that goes lighter, you know, yellow to darker orange. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, they uh, uh, we oh, Marx Brothers. We also wanted to watch Marx Brothers for some of the visual gags. Um, oh my God, we're at my parents' party. Boom, we split up into three different ways, uh, <laughs> and that was my guess. But, um, we did two weeks of rehearsal, so we were able to all add stuff and, you know, come up with lines like, could you drop, drop us off at a mall or something? <laughs> um, and Calvin Levels, what do you think? Yeah, Boise, Idaho, all improvised during rehearsal, noted by the scripture supervisor, and then, and then new drafts created based off of what we've come up with in rehearsals. And, but not like a one-off, oh, he said it once. It was, that's great, it works, put it in. That's so we keep idea. building and building the scenes. And Chris Cohen misquoted, but as Preston Surges, he said, you have to have three good scenes and no bad ones. So he's like, I want the L train sequence, the blues bar scene. And I think he said the frat party, but I may have been wrong. I can't remember what his third scene was that he said was going to be memorable for mm-hmm. adventures. But I do remember he definitely said L train scene and the blues bar scene would be two of them. I couldn't help but notice that you two groups of people are about to start killing each other. And I was wondering if you could please just wait on that until we could get off the train. Sit down, bitch. Bitch, sit down. Are you going to let him get away with that? 
Wait a minute. I was kidding. Uh, that was really rude. Uh, take it back. Apologize. Yeah, right. God, stay out of this. He called you a bitch. Brad, shut up. Hey, listen to the bitch, Brad. <laughs> Watch your mouth. You, you big city scum sucker. Ooh. You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Let me help. <gasps> Don't fuck with the lords of hell. Don't fuck with the babysitter. Uh, and so we knew what shoulders we stood on. We knew that Chris Columbus had just worked with Spielberg on Goonies, Gremlins, and Young Sherlock Holmes. Yep. We knew that Rick Waite was beautifully giving a nice, steady, smoky, beautiful frame. He's like a veteran in Hollywood. Everyone looks at his resume and they're like, damn, is he really shooting this teenage movie? Beautiful. <laughs> they, it's the first movie shot on Panavision Platinum cameras. Wow. Um, so it was brand new technology. It's still mm. film, but it was, they actually used platinum in the film gate, which gave it a more accurate, crisper oh, thing. A lot of movies were doing super, super 35 and blowing up, um, actually matting out. So like Top Gun was shot 185 and then they matted out the top of the thing and they told projectionists, please map this out and yeah. you show the lower two thirds of the frame. Um, so we're dealing with a whole new technology. And uh, and plenty of money from Disney and Touchstone Pictures, Rolling Thunder, all the hotels and uh, trucks and lights and, and and oh, and working with Shotmaker Lightmaker, which was one of the first. They had a, a truck. It's basically a dually that has a crane on the back of it, hmm. and you can do all sorts of cool things. They're like, yeah, they just use this on this movie called Young Guns. Um, <laughs> I think Young Guns was on the first one. See you, Shotmaker. Oh, cool. Uh, and so it was like at a time where the eighties technology was starting to push even past storytelling. We kind of got the format. Yep. We definitely know the rhythms of pop culture movies. And 10 pages in this happens. The chase happens in 45 minutes. This is after they have to lose there. Then they have to win here. You know, that kind of story cycle we're all used to. And then we recognize, we really recognize directors and writers when they broke that convention on us. But then you look at a larger arc and you realize they're still falling into that convention. And you're like, like Roger, uh, like uh, John Waters, still follows formula, but makes you think he's not following formula. Yeah, there's um, still a, a framework. So, there. Oh, and then yeah. you had, yeah, oh my God, look at that. When I was doing Book of Love, New Line was doing Hairspray. Wait, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah that makes like, sense. Yeah. Yep. And, and I was doing the Oscars at about the same time, it was 88. So, yep. I was friends with Ricky Lake, and she goes, want to go to a party and meet John? So I went to Westwood, and I got to meet John Waters. He's like, hello, hi, how are you? I'm like, hey, cool. He's John Waters and hitting on me. Yeah. Um, and I was like, how? And I went, I knew about, I, um, I also got to do theater with Tootsie Tyrell, oh, nice. and, um, who's one of the dreamers, Wonderland dreamers for, um, for John. And, uh, I mean, for, um, yeah, for John. I got to work with people that worked for, like, Warhol, weird, weird people. That were, you know, and I got to work with actresses like Sally Kirkland and Sean Young, uh, Shannon Doherty. It may not have a reputation in town by men that didn't like to be challenged by women with power. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, by working with them, I realized these are all incredibly made up stories by men that have incredibly fragile egos because yeah. these women are incredibly talents to be listened to on a set. Um, and I saw no evidence of like bad behavior. Eventually, they helped us get the damn thing done and finished quicker and better. 
yeah, listen Sean, to Shannon. Sean that Young. She's done yeah. a thousand more hours of television than you've ever done. Listen to her. Yeah, I, I uh, have a connection with Shannon and I totally see what you're saying. And it's really tragic about Sean Young because she was kind of blacklisted in Hollywood for a really long time. And just, you know, it's that's a that's a sad story. But um, but but you got to work well, for Sean. I always tell people this. I'm like, you know, how do you be an actor in this? And I go, listen, if especially Sean Young, if you don't dress up in a Catwoman suit and stalk the director across the street, guess you didn't want the part mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have to shave your head for the uncle fester audition which my grandfather did and my grandmother goes what are you doing he goes i'm, I'm you know preparing she goes it's an audition and he goes oh i i didn't know i never auditioned for anything before but he really wanted oh, it so he wow. shaved his head shaved his eyebrow never went auditioned. all the way never um, auditioned just just got it no he never auditioned until 64 what wow, that's so between 1914 and 1964 he never auditioned for anything. Wow. He did Perry Mason and Marlowe's and, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of heavies on TV and B-movies and, uh, you know, of course, Silence, and he was a huge MGM star. There's a street named after Coogan, Coogan Circle next to Sony Pictures right now. It's a few blocks from the studio, part of Old Lot 2, which was mm. sold off to balance the books in the 70s. And uh, it's next to Garland Way and Skelton mm. Boulevard and, you know, Gene Kelly. It's just uh, neat to have that weird past history. I have a weird film of my great-grandfather in Two Wheelers with um, Fatty Arbuckle and Buster Keaton. Oh, my gosh. So, They're on YouTube. Stage door, uh, backstage, and the hayseed. And I'm like, I can watch movies and find great grand. Well, some people don't even have pictures of their great-grandparents. I can see them on YouTube. Yeah. Very yeah. weird. I have to, I have to tell you yeah. I have to tell you I, going into this interview with you Dustin and I were like yeah we you know we want to talk about uh, you know Book of Love and Toy Soldiers and 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 hiding out and and, and uh, under the boardwalk and uh, Adventures of Babysitting and both of your babysitting movies right and and but but I did not anticipate uh, you having you were like the freaking Wikipedia of of <laughs> entertainment knowledge I, it's sincerely I mean this in the in the highest compliment i'm a film fan who got to be in i know but that's what i love i love that i love hearing that so really quick i i was a uh i was a career kindergarten teacher for for over 15 years and then uh got into voice acting and uh when my son was born and met dustin through that uh and he and i become you know fast friends and 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 I think what we share equally, and I think that's why we ended up doing this podcast, is because we love we love entertainment as well. And so having you on this show, it, it, it's it's such a pleasure to to hear these stories, oh. uh, these little like I don't know, I, I, people might not remember this, but like pop up video fun facts, you know, that would <laughs> come on the screen like yeah, yeah. love pop up yeah. right. And yeah. and so like this is so cool this little journey you're taking us on because yeah we're jumping in and out of your work which obviously that's the reason why we had you on here but talking about your grandfather which is so cool um but some of these also the history of cinema yeah this is really really fascinating First time a camera was used so i just have yeah. to thank you again for 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 sharing all this stuff with us is this what you've been doing during the pandemic during the pandemic um well i did the uh a web series that's the quarantine right. fund. Yep. And the quarantine How bunches. Yep. Former child star group, the secret society of former child stars that support each other. Yep. How you doing? You doing okay? You doing okay? How you doing? 
And um, because of coronavirus, they are forced to take their meetings online on the Zoom. <laughs> so you as a viewer get to peek into these Zoom meetings. It's hysterical. It's great. It's got a great And then it's also, it's also um, are you familiar with anti-comedy or anti-humor? No, I don't, I don't think so. There's certain people like Andy Kaufman. There's certain artists like Charlie Kaufman. Oh, sure. Okay. Usually they're named Kaufman. There's certain people that um, it's like his shaggy dog story. It's anti-humor. Okay, it's yeah. supposed to not. It's it's designed. It's like um, I want to say Emo Phillips. I want to say more. Look it up. Look up anti-comedy or anti-humor. I love Emo Phillips. There's very yeah. certain people that do it and do it well. Um, but it is absolutely fringe. Hmm. It's never going to go mainstream or anything. But there's elements of it. Oh, um, what's his face? Freddie gets fingered. Oh, Tom Green. Tom Green. Yeah. 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 There's a good example of anti-humor. Norm Macdonald, there's a good example. Stephen Wright, um, if you will, right? Yeah, and they know exactly what they're doing when they're doing it. Yeah. And that's why it's great and it's brilliant. And funny, Andy Kaufman, I think, is a great example of it. The wrestling bit, how long do you draw out of bit? So much that people think you faked your death. Yeah, just right. keep going with it. And right. People think, yeah, people think right. he's still alive. Or yeah. I think he's still alive. But... <laughs> So there's elements of this. It's very dark, and if, when you watch, um, and I suggest you watch Corona, the, uh, the quarantine bunch, because we go so okay. I built. I don't want to really blow it, but I was blown away when we made it. So I made. We made it, and uh, actually, junior high school friend of mine who produced and edited it, Jeff McIntyre. He's also he's got that in his mind, subversiveness that um, that John Waters kind of sparkled, the wink in the eye of like show them. And they won't even know that they were made fun of. So there, it makes a turn. The show gets, gets stolen from us, I guess, by a fan. There's a soccer fan that starts joining the meetings. Okay. And it actually takes over the show. And it just becomes oh, Debbie Tarzana takes over the show. And she even imitates Corey Feldman and she's doing it. We're like, it's, it's not her. That's the soccer. Um, oh gosh, it, awesome. it, it goes so far down a direction you don't expect. It, it's almost like too many cooks. Is this available on uh, YouTube or where, where can yeah, we find it? Yeah, so this? YouTube. Just go to the, the, the quarantinebunch.com okay. or go to YouTube, type up the quarantine oh. bunch. You'll go, all right, first episode, first two, you go, huh. Oh, by the way, here's another tie in oh. to Mago 210 and Tori Spelling and yeah. the spellings. Dean McDermott stars as a made up Scottish child star. Okay. Because <laughs> we wanted a Dean in it, but he wasn't a child actor. He started. His first ad credit was like when he was 19 or 21 or 22. So we wanted Dean in it. And um, so we wrote, and people literally go, I don't remember his show. Scotty Makes Five is the name of the show. And it's a trope on sixes or sevens or on the Waltons. They brought me in eight season, this little Jeffrey Burton. I was a seven or I was a six. I was a uh, cousin mm -hmm. Oliver. So we, we recognize these tropes. We know when they bring in a young kid on a show that the show's dead. That it's jumped the shark, Chrissy mm. on Family Ties. We just know. Um, what's the girl Poltergeist when they brought her on Happy Days? Oh gosh, um, uh, the um, the the lead. Yeah. In, yeah, 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 yeah. That well, yeah. or so uh, by the time you know her heart, you go, you know, oh, I know the show's dead when they bring on that new kid. So the Quarantine Bunch has like it's got it's got you, it's got Scotty Scotty Schwartz from Christmas Story and the Toy. Uh, Danny Pintaro from from um, who's, the who's the boss? 
Was the boss. Hey, Jeremy yep. Miller from Growing Bains. Jeremy Miller from Growing Yeah. Yep. It's good. It's great. I, I love, I love that. Did, did, did this come about because Jeremy of- Miller does a one man show of the life of Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and here's what I want to talk about anti comedy. We build it up on a few episodes and he's trying to push it. He even shows the flyer and I'm like, you, you spelled Graham wrong. <laughs> you spelled it G R A M. Um, there's some genius stuff in there that was improv, by the way. There's a lot of stuff that's improv. We had a good structure, but we shot it live on Zoom and then maybe backed up to get some moments uh, or expand on something that somebody came up with. Dean McDermott was hysterical. So it's anti-comedy. So just keep in mind, if you go, oh, God, this looks like crap and this is weird and it, it just isn't my taste, then trust me. By episode five or six, you'll go, oh, my God, they really hooked me and it, and it took me down a weird rabbit hole. You'll enjoy it. So if you like weird crap, quarantine much. It looks like it's not weird, but then it becomes weird. Well, I just love, I just love that you, <laughs> you know, oftentimes people say, uh, you know, they, they, they associate obvious your work with a lot of the, uh, the bigger films that you've done or the bigger television you've done, but you've also had, you've had, you've had such a wide career. And um, I was thinking of the show you did the comeback kids for, and, and with uh, Richard Horvitz yeah. and Richard Horvitz is actually uh Dustin and I both took his uh, classes, his voiceover classes, which are oh, great, beyond we phenomenal. Love Richard. Richard, yeah, and he became a friend. I mean, he's such a good, good person. And um, you know, you you did that series with him, and and you you've had so many great oper- like great roles in your in your career. Is there something? This is kind of a wide open question, but are there are there movies that stand out to you? Movies or television shows that you've done? Uh, that have stood out more than others for me or yes, for, for you objectively for you. by box office or by, oh, no for cousins. you for you specifically because yeah you, cousins yeah cousins. cousins 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 um number one joel schumacher uh master of genre um and Rest of course peace. Rest in peace, yeah. getting to work with uh ched danson who was the most insecure person i'd ever met in my life and he's two or three seasons in most two inse- years. Most insecure? Yes. Ah. And he's the highest paid person in television and fucking him through a feature film. Mm-hmm. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah, I bet. You know, I bet because uh, he had only done yeah, Cheers I, up to that. I mean. Yeah. He was trying to hook me. But the reason I got cast, I went for Cousins. And then when I booked it, the producer said we would have paid twice what your agent asked for. And I was like, well, don't tell don't me that. Tell me that. Uh, I don't want to hear yeah, that. I went up by him. He would have paid for so, two uh, more mortgages for you. And I'm like, why? And he goes, because he goes, you're fine. You're very entertaining. He goes, but when you read with Ted, he was better. Oh. So that's why I like being a supporting actor. That's why I like going in there. I, I'm a little method in that I like to get in under the skin of the actor. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And I don't force it. I don't say, let's hang out. You have plenty of time on a set to spend with somebody to get under their skin. Trust me. You got to find that button that pushes them so you can make their eyes flash with real anger, real surprise, real laugh or whatever. And then you work them. And then you find out how they're working their character. And you find out as you as a human being working your character can actually say the truth to another person in front of people while they're lighting it and filming it. And you as an audience subconsciously recognize that that's true. And I think that's why you laugh or go, ooh, burn, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. That's my goal. And I know it's really deep. And I don't think anybody cares how you make the sausage. And I think it, I have a saying 
I take my comedy very seriously. Um, and I do, I, I check it out. I map it out. I'm like, this needs this, this needs a setup. This needs a turn. This needs, I need a close up here. You know, I'll talk to people. I'll talk to the cat. I'll do whatever it takes. See, and I don't take control when I hit a set. I'll have my moment. Um, and that's how I auditioned for something. And if I taught a class, I would teach people about the Buffalo. So every scene, and I think I might've stolen it from Dennis Wood, uh, Wood, uh, Dennis Woodruff's workshop. No, Dennis Kelly's workshop. So in every scene, there is a line, a turn, a win, a shot fired that is the buffalo. It's when you see an actor sight down a scope and nail a buffalo right between the eyes. So your job as an actor is to find the buffalo in every scene. Hmm. Because that way you can put a scene in a scene and distill it to, I see dead people. So if you can find the buffalo in each scene, you can find the moment that'll stick out. And that helps the story most. And it helps the editors most. What's your, all I need is that look. What's your buffalo and cousins? Um, look at all these self-satisfied people stuffing themselves while I steal um, silverware, which was improv. Oh, really? Ah. <laughs> That's funny. And in terms of um, right? adventures in, in babe, uh, Or so, kiss my squirrel. Fish, kiss my squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't yet spoken about uh, "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead," which obviously um, you are you are very well known to our audience as as Kenny, Christina Applegate's brother. Um, I, I'm sure there were a lot of buffaloes going on in that movie. Yeah, right. Sure, um, you've got you've got the car, and you don't even take me anywhere. I think that's one of them. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think uh, "Dishonored Dying Man" was in the script, and neither was. Um, I'll do the dishes, which I looped over just a heavy breast because that was shot after we shot the dish scene. So the scene where I'm on the couch and she goes, you know, do the line, the line, and don't forget to do the dishes. And then I go, well, I'll do the dishes. Um, was shot after we shot the roof scene. So I don't remember who wrote it. I don't remember if it was a pink page, a chartreuse page, a blue page. If the director handed it to me, if the writer came up with it, if I said it, if a friend said it, I don't know who came up with the line because it's not in my copy of the script. <laughs> um, then it's in yeah. the trailer. So thank you to whoever put that in the trailer. Yeah, right? it, it really worked. It's iconic. Um, you didn't even have to see the movie to be exposed to this line. Um, and so it's cool. It got to enter a little pop culture thing. And it's still, people are still like, my husband says it every time. I say it every time I finish the thing. Mow the lawn today, and don't forget to do the dishes, okay? Bye. I'll do the dishes. The writer's goal was to make every line quotable don't waste a minute don't waste anything have you ever been to santa barbara have you ever had a 48 24 hour orgasm no i've never been to santa barbara <laughs> there are lines that are so quick and so subversive there's so much subversion in this movie yeah yeah um 30 rock or something uh, it's very fast mm -hmm. yeah it you know talks like she's chewing her face there's so many uh, throwaways and undertones and you know, Joanna Cassidy having a breakdown and shoveling M&Ms into her mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going to, they're hanging uniforms in effigy. I mean, there's so many, you know, and it's also got a connection back to one of my favorite first movies. Michael Douglas has produced One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest because it's got Franklin who wants his cigarettes. Nurse Ratched, I want my cigarettes. And he's the 
purchasing, um, head purchasing. She's like, and she has to lay him off. Oh, Franklin, I'm sorry. You know, she like lays off Franklin. Yeah. And we had John Getz, who was um, uh, in The Fly, which is one of the greatest films ever made. John Getz is great, and yeah. I always wanted to see more. I'm like, there's him. Joanna Cassidy from Blade Runner. Yeah, right. There's John Getz, The Fly. There's, um, you know, the guy that played Franklin, I forgot his name, um, from One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yep. There's Kimmy Robertson from Twin Peaks. There, you know, David Duchovny. Yeah. Well, he, he hadn't been cast on Twin Peaks yet, or maybe he had, and I think that was why he was there, because he had the same agent or manager as Kimmy Robertson. Mm. I'm trying to find the connection, because he hadn't worked much, and he hadn't done Red Shoe Diaries yet. And David pulled me aside at lunch, and um, while I'm eating lunch on the steps of my honey wagon, he says, how do you get a better agent? How do you get better parts? How did you get where you are? Mm. And I go, I don't have a secret. I'll just tell you what I did. Yeah. And so I broke it down to David what I did. And then, um, and then I remember reading for Red Shoe Diaries and then him booking it. I was like, oh, cool. Good on him. Right. <laughs> now that I've given you all of my secrets, David. Damn it. And I was, I was going to say Josh Charles, too, which I, I love Josh Charles in, uh, in, in Threesome, oh. but, uh, you know, in Dead mm. Poet Society. Threesome. Threesome's great, uh, by the I way. I just put Crossing the Bridge, and Crossing the Bridge had the same casting director as Don't Tell on the Babysitter Dead. Oh, I love my, Crossing um, the Bridge is great. I was just telling Dustin about my, it the um, other day. My method shenanigans didn't go over too well on Crossing the Bridge. The empty beer bottle I kept in my jean jacket pocket. That I don't even think they saw, but they could probably smell it. Um, oh no! Yeah, I was. I went up for go. I went up for the bad guy role of the three, the one that's yeah, kind of yeah. tough and like. I think Jason yeah. Gedrick ended up getting Focus, that one. Yeah. There's no way I should have been cast in that. <laughs> well, I think, and they ended up going with Jason. When Gedrick you get on certain them, right? parts, oh, that's right. It was Gedrick. Mm-hmm. When you get certain um, auditions and you go, um, all right, Farmer Ted, you know this geek character, I could get that. But then you get. Um, say anything and you're like i don't really see myself as lloyd dobler <laughs> oh my god that'd be amazing <laughs> i would love that you have to and you know you hear so-and-so's up for it well it's there you know i'm reading for friends and i'm going up for chandler and i look over and i see matthew perry and i go well it's obviously written in your voice mm, yeah. he didn't even get it it went to um what, max berg or max uh Sorry, sometimes I go too deep down the rabbit hole. It's okay. I love my wife. She knows every um, five and under, every line, every past project they've done. Oh, they're on that soap. Oh, they're on that movie. Oh, they're... like how do you know this? I was, I was amazing with faces. I was just gonna say, you, your wife Pinky, uh, right? She, you guys, it's, it, it's you. You're very active on social media, which is great, and uh, and, and like on, on Instagram and Twitter, and I just love the content you guys put on there because it's very, it, it just obviously shows how much you love um, movies, film, entertainment. Uh, you guys have been together for how many years now? Seven. Wow. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. And, oh, yeah. and, and it's just, yeah. And I, I just love that, uh, that you guys obviously equally share this affection for just media and cinema. We, have a weird collection of stuff we met these people that make these stencil works and um so consequently i have a don't tell them on the babysitters did skateboard i have lps with adventure the babysitting cast and kenny on them fan love turns into you know i drew this picture of your grandfather when i was in prison and it's like a beautiful pencil sketch of the kid how do you deal with something like that? <laughs> well, speaking of soundtracks, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead soundtrack is 
getting released on vinyl, uh, which is really not kidding. Cool. Now, this is a rare thing. It's printed, it's pressed, and it's selling it out. So go to wargodcollective.com. There's also uh, another cool. third pressing available on Enjoy the Ride that's almost sold out. They only made 1,000. They're selling 800 on one site. They're selling 200 on the other. They are all 10 original songs. They are colors like waffle, cone, or Belgian waffle, brown. They've got rose red. I'm right on top of that rose red. And they've got a clown right dog, um, <laughs> yellow. <laughs> I'm right on top of that rose red. Is great. I love colored LPs. It's open with, um, if you look inside where the record is, it's dirt. And a note says, nice old lady inside died of natural causes. It, the, uh, uh, the, around the turntable, the inner um, circle is a Mama Celeste pizza box. That's awesome. And they're listed. Mama Celeste face up is side A. Mama Celeste face down is side uh-huh. B. For people that love Don't Tell Mom and the music in Don't Tell Mom, Baby Susan, which is fantastic. And it's got some great artists that have a legacy. They are the bands. They're from kind of semi-super groups made up of past incredible artists from like Dexys and Night Runners and um, don't tell on the Davis Series Dad is just a great fun soundtrack and these pieces are are amazing. I, I don't get a cut of every one sold, but um if you like them, get them now. And they're they were ready. They weren't pre-orders, they were I order it, I get it in two days. Yeah, it, it it's gonna it, it's really beautiful. I haven't ordered it yet, but I'm going to. Um we're, <laughs> we're unfortunately we're almost out of time and I'm, I'm hoping that at some point down the road we can have you back on and maybe even in person once things get better yeah. uh which would be really beautiful because we're here in la as well That's um great. sincerely thank you so much for being on the show thank you thank you thank you for your time thank you for the deep dive you really left me wanting more because i gotta get into a movie they never remake today Group of terrorists cross the southern border, killing border patrol security, taking over a child boarding toy school. Toy soldiers. Yeah. We're never going to remake toy soldiers, and yet they are. So I have a solution. You make it a girls' boarding school, but they're millennials, so they call their parents. Parents are in way over their heads, so the girls got to save the dads. Oh, I feel like you've thought about this. <laughs> oh, I want the paycheck, damn it. Well, you know what? Uh, th- that that is more motivation to have you back. Um, take care of each of wear your mask. Masks up. Yeah, stay safe, stay healthy. It's been an honor. Yes, thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, have a good one. You too. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Oh, listen! I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the eighties. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeed Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.